Hello, everybody. This is Mark Lewandowski. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Mind Your Business is all about building your personal capacity. Personal capacity is what is needed for you to grow in your career, make great decisions, and become a person of influence. So sit back and enjoy this content as I share with you insights and stories, examples, and personal challenges designed to do one thing, build your capacity to change your world. I have heard you say multiple times that your Relodex is the most important and valuable asset you own. Tell me about that. I think in anything you do, you've got to gather friends and business contacts along the way. But the real gift is being able to recycle them through different genres of your business life and keeping them intact. At the end of the day, it's the only asset that you have that differentiates you from somebody else. That's a great concept. The, the concept of recycling those friends through one industry sector to your next industry sector. Tell me a little bit about that. Give me an example of somebody at one point in your career was a good, good client or prospect and that you recycled them into another one. You might not want to use names either with, <laughs> yeah, we're, with we're, your we're, contact we're, list. We'll keep it generic. I think whether you do, there's a great ad um, years ago in retail of a store called Benetton that was um, multifaceted kids in the campaign. I think that's really what, what makes life exciting, especially in business. And so as you gather people from one industry to the next, whether it be um, a client you might have uh, worked with in entertainment um, that is a low-maintenance friend that you can't hang out with very much, but um, as you transition into luxury goods, that same client that you maybe did a film with could ultimately become someone that could endorse your product or you could host a party for them. You can get involved in their charity. Um, and it's what we do now with, uh, with Wellvia. We do a lot of 501c3 things. And so the person that you, know, you worked with in entertainment 30 years ago that wore your timepiece 15 years ago, you're now benefiting their 501c3 through healthcare. Tell me a little bit about your time in entertainment. You started out at a small college in the Midwest, then you went out to USC. After USC, you got in the entertainment business and met a lot of important people. Tell me about that time in your life. You know, it was a transition time. You know, I think um, Oklahoma City University was a great school. It just wasn't for me. Um, I guess I found a week enrollment year at USC and got into the drama school (laughs) through film, and they they needed one kid more, so I got in. Um, but got really lucky. And, you know, the Rolodex, um, the lady who at the time um, was the head of marketing for Paramount under Frank Mancuso Jr. was an SC grad. And I got in as, a, as an intern in the marketing department and uh, grew up through that business and, you know, had some really great clients and was, I think, the opportunity to, to be involved with some amazing films at a young age and some great clients um, was strictly by association. 
My special guest today is Todd Thoman, a dear friend of mine who's been involved in several really very interesting industries. Started out in the entertainment business out in California, met some very important and powerful people. Then you went into retail globally. And when I say retail, you weren't folding T-shirts <laughs> or folding <laughs> jeans. I'm talking about the highest end of retail. Would you be so kind as to tell us how you made a transition between the entertainment industry and going into the highest levels of global retail? It, was, it wasn't by chance, or it wasn't by choice, really. I think it was all by chance. Um, I was telling uh, a young friend of mine this morning that, you know, being impatient is good and bad at times. Um, and I was impatient when I was in my mid-20s. And the opportunity came around to get involved in retail, and I thought, absolutely not. My parents would beat me to death if I went from this to this and now folding t-shirts. But the concept was a really good one. I think um, when the original idea for Armani Exchange and Emporio Armani came about, I liked the story. And it was all about you know taking that actor who might have wore black label Armani to the Oscars. Um, how do you introduce a label that's way too expensive to someone who is much younger? And the idea was to grow them through the brand. And that was the that was the formal idea behind Armani Exchange and Emporio. You were very much involved in the launch of Armani Exchange mm-hmm. and Emporia. And you were also friends with the founder. I was. How did you become friends with someone that's that famous, that well-connected, and that difficult to connect with? So Armani actually did all the clothing for The Godfather 3. And uh, he had a woman running his company named Gabriella Forte that was really the force behind the vision. He was a creative icon behind it, um, but wanted to branch out. At the time, back in the early 90s, um, there was a lot of competition between he and Johnny Versace. And uh, how do you go out and get that youth brand up and going? And it was just creativeness. And throughout the film, just understanding the, the level of of um, quality that they created through the garment business is how we made the association. And uh, So you had no training, no formal training in, in retail. I knew I liked clothes. Okay. <laughs> but you no formal training in retail no. or design or uh, no. anything like that. And all of a sudden you become friends with Joseph Armani and he says, come on with me. Yeah, go with me on this journey. Yeah, it was a great company based out of New York. Um, the U.S. business was with a company called Cement, and uh, it was good. It was launched in the U.S., um, actually on Santa Monica Boulevard, and we opened up in Houston, Miami, Soho. Um, worked in the New York office for quite a while. Actually lived at the Paramount Hotel at the day, which is a crazy place that was actually the home of Randy Gerber's very first bar. and. Obviously, Randy's done all right to the day with his tequila companies. When you were with Armani, tell me what an average week would look like. What did you do? What does that look like? What does a day look like? What does a week look like? Well, a day in the retail is interesting because, A, you're selling things that people want, not that they need. Um, you're competing with stores that had Gap jeans or Levi's that were 24 to $34. And at AX, we introduced jeans at $168. <laughs> Imagine that, $160 pair of jeans. I thought, this is going to be a push. Um, but it ended up becoming one of the quickest growing fads in the country and ultimately the, globally. Um, so it was a lot about the story. You know, I think the things that went into the stores, whether it was the, the colors of the wood, you set the audience. People want to escape reality. They go to movies to get away for two and a half hours. They go to a concert to escape 
Um, they might go to a spa or they go shopping. They like to, they like to invest in something that they're actually not. Um, and I think clothing does that for a lot of people, you know, retail therapy. And so it was a lot of it was just setting the trend and um, being on the cutting edge. It was always interesting launching the store in Houston where there's a very large um, presence of faith-based people. And I remember opening weekend, um, we had some models in the windows of the store in the Galleria and a particular subset of religious folks were not real pleased that we had scantily clad models in the windows. Um, but it got a lot of good publicity. <laughs> I'm sure it, it did. What other brands did you work with during the time that you were in retail? Um, so I left um, the AX brand and went to a company called Richemont that was a South African luxury goods company, primarily with a company called Alfred Dunhill that was like the quintessential men's brand. Um, but the Richemont group was Cartier, Piaget, Chloe, um, Seagar Leather, um, all based out of parts of the world. Um, Dunhill did really, really well in the U.S. Um, from a men's brand, but Cartier was obviously the uh, the household name. When a person that doesn't normally shop in luxury goods goes into a store and they see the price difference, they wonder, is it really that much better? The answer is yes. It just depends upon the quality. I think if you if you understand the, the rag business or the garment business, it's where things are manufactured and brought in. Um, you know, I think that the quality lasts forever. This shirt is AX, first collection. So what, 30 years old? Still intact, does really well. Um, but the the way clothes are made, whether it's a hand-done stitching, um, the timepieces, how many jewels go into a watch, and I don't mean diamonds or rubies, but the, the movements inside the timepiece, um, all of that stuff does matter. It's not for everybody, and but if you can make if you can make rent and show profit in a luxury goods world um, where you're selling things, again, that people want versus have to have, it's... Uh, you, get, you, you hone your skill pretty quickly. So you went from Los Angeles in the entertainment business to all over the world, including Miami, New York, Houston, London, in the garment and luxury goods mm-hmm. business. And then you made a transition over to healthcare. It's not the transition I want to talk about. I want to talk about the relationships. One thing you're known for is building and keeping great relationships. What do you think the key is to being a person that can build relationships with strangers? Well, thank you. Um, I think a key to it is A, be genuine. Believe in what it is you're selling or what you're promoting or what you're investing in. I think growing up in the South, I was taught that you only have one last name. Don't mess it up. Treat people with respect. Be conscious of their time. Um, Don't take advantage of. Um, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to get somewhere with something. And, you know, taking those relationships on and bringing them through the journey, whether it's healthcare, energy, it's all about how you treat people. What would you say to someone who is out there and they're, get, they're wanting advice from you about their career and they really don't believe in what they're selling? Get out. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. I mean, if you wake up in the morning and you don't believe in what you're selling or what you're, in, or what you're promoting, you're not being true to yourself first and foremost. You know, life is not a dress rehearsal. You get one stab at it. Enjoy the day. Make the most of it. But believe in it. Be passionate about it. Um, everyone's going to, you know, should have their why in life. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you take jobs that are jobs 
And that's important if you're a younger person especially. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your career. But you can definitely take things from those jobs that ultimately impact what you do long term. This afternoon, you and I are going to meet an old friend of yours, somebody that you worked with three or five years ago. And you hadn't talked in quite a while, but then you call and reconnect. Here you are about to engage in another business activity with the gentleman that you dealt with five years ago. What's the key to maintaining that relationship? What's the key to severing a relationship for a little while, but maintaining peace and harmony between those two individuals? I really think it's just how you conduct yourself. It's really not what you do, but how you do what you do, I think, that makes a difference. If you end things, or put things on pause, rather, for a variety of reasons. If you do it with um, intent and respect, and you don't go behind someone's back or say things that aren't true, you should always be able to pick up the telephone and reach back out. I'm a big believer in low-maintenance relationships. I don't have the time to spend going through a Rolodex, or I was told this morning it's a contact list um, on a daily basis. <laughs> Rolodex dated myself. But to be able to reach back out and be like, hey, you know, we treated each other fairly four or five years ago. We made a lot of good, you know, investments in business and had a lot of fun, so why not do it again? At the end of the day, you know, you just got to pick up where you left off. You can't do that if you've not been true to yourself and the person that they're under the telephone. Looking back on your career, can you imagine or remember a time in your career where you really blew it in a relationship with somebody and you thought, boy, this one's over. I, I This is a bridge burned. Professionally or personally? Professionally. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah. Professionally, you know, I think um, the lesson I learned on, yes, I have. So I think the lesson I learned was A, to exercise a 24-hour rule. Um, I tend to be a pretty emotional person. I'm passionate about the things I believe in. And with that comes a little bit of, um, uh, I'm not the most patient person in the world. And so responding without truly thinking about what you say or how you deliver it can be true, can be impactful. And then, you know, I think it was about two years ago, there were four instances in my life that I had made bad choices in relationships and how I handled myself. And uh, at the end of that year, I made, a, uh, I made a vow to myself and to my kids that I was going to right those wrongs. And I went back and I said, you know, it's been a long time. I own my part of the, of the issue. Um, I'm sorry. I was just young or hot-tempered or impatient. Um, and that was important to me because I don't think you can really move forward and gain the best things you're going to get out of life if you don't you know, check yourself at the door. I think you and I actually talked about that at one point, and there might be something in your closet. Um, but it was, to me, important. And to, A, set the example for your kids, um, but more importantly, for your relationships. So, yeah, being patient and not speaking um, so quickly at times. Let's talk a moment about confidentiality. You have a host of individuals on that contact list, which you call a Rolodex, but the listeners would call a contact list, that are well-known names, they're household names, they're famous people. Mm-hmm. It had been, you and I had been very good friends for six months before you ever told me that you had worked on the Godfather movies and you were in entertainment and you had worked, for, worked with Versace. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your approach to confidentiality and holding your cards close to your chest. So I, I believe the best in people, first and foremost. But I respect the integrity of my friendships, and I think the 
the level of intimacy might be the wrong word, but the the level of transparency I have with with friends over the years. Um, some friends are more apt to being visible or publicly speaking. But at the end of the day, it's the person that, believe it or not, you see on screen or on stage that may not be like that in in their private life. They're very private people. You know, their their escape of going to the movies is actually performing in them and maintaining that and always reaching out and saying, hey, is it okay if I share this with somebody? And that's with anybody. I think you, you know, again, they're your friend until you've done something that would cause them to not do, to not be such. And whether it's, you know, my kid's godmother is an amazing woman, just turned, I think, 88 years old, and Tippy Hedren is one of the best in that. And, uh, you know, Tippy's weathered the storm if you think about the things that she went through with Hitchcock as a young actress to the things that unfortunately are rocking Hollywood um, today. It's all about how you treat people, um, doing the right thing, and um, be respectful of people's privacy. And that's the biggest part of it. Okay, I'm going to do something to put a little pressure on you now. I'm going to give you a word. I want you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay. Life. Precious. Enemies. Few. Luck. Everything. Disaster. Um, inevitable. Friend. Key. Future. Optimistic. Retirement. Not possible. <laughs> That's two words. <laughs> Can't retire. I don't know that I can retire. I think there's going to be things that are going to fuel the passion. I want to work hard today to give back later. We've got a listener population that is typically young in their career or middle into their career and they're wondering they're saying to themselves is this the right thing am i really doing what i'm called to do is this really special enough for me to finish this out is this what i should be doing the rest of the life what when do i jump off this train and get onto a boat sailing to my forever take a minute and just give us your thoughts about transitions in life and the important things about someone's work life I think it's um for me personally it's threefold I think you've got to I was telling uh, your son last night that everyone's going to leave their mark in life and a dear friend of mine sings a song about you know I was here and what do you want your mark to be that's first and foremost we're all going to leave one we can control what that mark is and what, how we're remembered the second thing is to sit back and be true to yourself. Don't let others dictate if you're going to be creative or if you're going to be operational. Own who you are and what you do best because that first and foremost is what's going to get you to the next level. And then thirdly, I think it's a real ability to listen to your, your sixth sense, your inner self, and know when it's time to pay attention. And if you wake up and you're not fueled with excitement and driven every day, find out why. I think it's important to follow that that inner voice, but to do things that are purpose-driven, that really motivate you, and whether or not it is, by definition of society, a great job or an admirable career, if it's what really drives you to being you know, the best you, listen to it. And you're going to change your career three or four or five times, I would, I would say, throughout the process, unless maybe you're going to be an attorney or an investment banker. But by and large, it's all pretty um, transparent. In these last 25 years, you've gone from singer, 
<laughs> to entertainment producer to retail to luxury goods mm-hmm. to healthcare. It's been quite a journey. It's been a fun ride. And the ride's not over. It's definitely not. I look forward to seeing what's next. I think there's going to be some uh, some interesting things. I think, again, you're going to see, at least for me personally, it's going to be about purpose. And it's going to be doing things that are impactful, whether it be in healthcare or in helping people be a better version of themselves. There's a lot to be invested in that. Todd, thank you so much for spending time with Mind Your Business on this podcast. Your wisdom and your advice is truly and greatly appreciated. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mind Your Business. Please check me out on Facebook and Instagram and be sure to send me a message if there's something you need or want me to talk about. You know, the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once said, you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. What does that mean for you today? That means if there's something in this content that is exciting and really resonates with you, pass it along to your friends. Share it. Let them develop and become strong in their thinking, in their motivation, in their knowledge, just like you are. Together, knowledgeable, you and your friends will change the world.